You know, I, I really love what I do. I do. I absolutely love what I do. I feel blessed to be able to do what God has called me to do. And I'm even more blessed not to have to do what so many other people do because I don't know how some people do certain jobs. They just seem so hard to me, so difficult to me. And probably a lot of you do those jobs, but I look at it and go, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could have the patience or the tolerance or the intelligence. There's just no way I could do probably 99% of the jobs out there in the world today. I just, I just couldn't do it. And probably all of us could look at other people's jobs and say, man, that is a hard job. I, I don't know how anybody can do that. And so we could probably have a pretty good discussion on what jobs are hard and what jobs are not hard. And, and we probably could have some common ground, but we may have some differences. But I think Probably one job that we can all agree is really, really hard is being a parent. That's a hard job. If you're a parent, a grandparent, or you're dealing with kids, that's a hard job. It's like, it's like being at the circus and you're walking the tightrope, but there is no net, okay? And, and, and maybe you're like me. Maybe you have those moments where you think, I am raising a future Nobel Prize peace winner, then you have moments like, what am I unleashing onto society? I don't know what I'm doing. And if you asked my kids, they would say, he doesn't know what he's doing. Okay, Christy is, is away, you know, she's at a family funeral, so it's just me and the kids. So it's chaos. Dad, can I have more cookies? Sure, I guess that sounds good. I don't, I don't know. You know, and sometimes as parents, you know, or grandparents, we, we, we say things that when we hear them back, we're like, I can't believe I just said that. You know, that type of thing. Like, I know Christy one time said, no, you can't hot glue the turtle. You know, I mean, like the things that, that we say. And so I wanted to share with you just a few things that, that maybe you've said or, or you've heard. So here's the first one. You know, kids have toys that never end. Sometimes we go and we say, no, honey, they don't sell replacement batteries for that toy. <laughs> right? We, we've kind of all kind of said that. Or here's one that uh, maybe a dad said. My father always said the animals on the side of the road were just taking a nap since the road was warm. That sounds like a dad thing to say, right? Oh, they're just taking a nap. I don't know what you're talking about. That's, that's fine. Now, th this, one, this one, this is a great one. It says, if you eat enough vegetables, your body makes them taste like candy. All right, that, that's a lie, right? We all, we all know that's a lie, but we're still going to push that lie out there 100%. How about this one? The rumble strips on the highway are for the blind drivers. <laughs> Took me seven years to realize that one. Well played, dad. Well played. And this line, honestly, when I found this next one, I could not stop laughing. I don't know, maybe it says about me. It says, when we went to the store, my mom used to say, every time you touch something, a kitten dies. <laughs> I've seen that a dozen times, and I can't stop laughing with that. I just had this image of, oh, there's another kitten. Oh, there's another kitten. Like, can't do it. So, wow, wow. But being a parent is hard. It is so hard, right? And, and we want the best for our kids. And we... We want them to, to know the goodness, and we want them to know the goodness of God. So we, in everything we do, we're like, well, I just, I want my kids. And so many people say once they have kids, well, I need to come back to church now because I want my, my kids to know God. And that's, and that's a good thing. But how do you give your kids to God? I mean, it sounds great, but how do you, how do, you do that? Well, we've been kind of going through our series called Game Changers and on how the little things we do and how God can use those little moments to be huge game-changing moments in people's lives. So we're going to continue uh, to go through here, and we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark today. And so I just want to encourage you to open up. We're going to be in, in Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bible or bring it up on your phone, but 
you know, just to kind of give you a context here, you know, we've had the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they kind of go up to the mountain with Jesus, they see him transfigured, we see Moses and Elijah there, it's this unbelievable mountaintop moment, the voice of God comes down and said, this is my son, you guys got to listen to him, right? I mean, it's this amazing moment that's going on, right? Kind of like when Moses was on the mountain at Mount Sinai, and just like when Moses came down the mountain and Jesus comes down the mountain, he comes down to a mess, right? Isn't that sometimes how life works? You have this unbelievable mountaintop moment, but then when you come down, you come back into a mess, and there's sin, and there's, there's all kinds of stuff. And so what Jesus and the three disciples that were with him come down to, they come down to this big argument, right? This big argument that's going on between the nine remaining disciples and some scribes who were the religious people, right? And then there's a family there with a child who is ill. And so this is what, what Jesus comes down to. This is what Mark tells us, starting at verse 11. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. So I want you to picture the scene. Mountaintop, transfiguration, Moses and Elijah. It's this amazing moment. Jesus comes down and he sees his nine remaining disciples engaged in a debate and an argument with the scribes. Now, the reason they're arguing was because the scribes are like, I thought you could heal this boy because a father had brought his son who had all kinds of physical problems and had demonic possession going on. And the scribes are like, hey, I thought you guys could heal because they had indeed healed people before. So they had driven out demons. They had healed people who had physical issues. So the scribes are really kind of giving the disciples the business. And Jesus comes down to, to this argument and the disciples are arguing and debating when they should have been praying. They were trying to get into some sort of some sort of yes we can, no we can type of argument. And so they, Jesus comes down and he sees this argumentative kind of faithless generation, which is not much different than the generation that we live in sometimes. And he comes down and he sees all of this going on and he asks this question. He says, what are you arguing about? Now he knows 
what they're arguing about. So he says, what are you arguing about? And before the disciples, before the scribes can answer, a father boldly steps forward and says, teacher. So right away, we know that this man has respect for Jesus. He calls him teacher. Teacher is a term of respect, rabbi. He realized that Jesus was not just an ordinary man, that there was something about Jesus that was different. So he says, teacher. And he goes and he lays out all the things that have been happening to his son, that his son has been suffering for so long. He says, teacher, my son is possessed by a spirit. It's robbed him of speech. It throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes the teeth. I mean, lays out this horrible situation. Now, as a parent or a grandparent, a guardian, somebody who knows and loves and works with kids, somebody who wants to be a parent one day, you know, if your child is suffering, there's nothing you won't do. You will go to any and every extreme to find your kid the help that they need because we love our kids. The children that are in our life, we will do anything for them. And so this man, he brings his child to the disciples, right? And the disciples cannot heal him. So the father is disappointed in the disciples. The scribes are probably disappointed in the disciples. The disciples are probably disappointed in the disciples. And here comes Jesus. And he says, what's going on? And this father jumps forward and, and he says, here's my son. Here's my situation. And you think, well, the father did the right thing. Okay, like he brought his son to Jesus. But did he? He brought his son to the disciples of Jesus. There's a difference between bringing and giving your kids to Jesus and bringing and giving your kids to people who know Jesus. Don't miss that. See, it's, it's the equivalent of us saying, I'm going to bring my kids to church. That's great, but that's not bringing your kids to Jesus. I'm going to put my kids in youth group, give my kids to youth group, or give my kids to children's ministry. Those are great, but that's not the same as giving your kids to Jesus. You're giving your kids to people who know Jesus. And sometimes... Sometimes that doesn't work out that well. Sometimes we can become disappointed because the people around Jesus are not Jesus, but we expect them to be Jesus. See, this is about giving your child to Jesus, not just people who know Jesus. When I was little, my parents used to drop me off at Sunday school every week. And, you know, my parents at that point weren't Christians and, and neither was I. My parents have since come to Christ and I'm grateful for that. But they would drop me off at Sunday school and then they would go back home and get ready for church and then come. And so they would see me walk into the Sunday school building. And instead of going up the stairs to where the Sunday school room was, I kind of went left to where the gym was. And so I would spend the Sunday school hour playing basketball every week. And then I would meet my parents in church and they would say, why are you so sweaty? And I said, well, the air conditioner was broken in the Sunday school room. That's why I'm all sweaty. See, they thought they could just drop me off. And that was good enough. But see, I, I, I didn't learn anything. And sometimes that's what we forget, that we've got to learn to give our kids to Jesus. And so Jesus is, is listening to this and and. And he says, you unbelieving generation. And, and he's talking about the disciples. He's talking about the scribes. He's talking about the people who were there because they were so busy arguing that they should have been busy praying and saying, I want to know you more, God. I want to trust you more, God. I want to be in deeper relationship with you, God, because that's when, when things happen. See, Jesus was going to deal with this problem through prayer and faith. 
See, if you're like me, I try to deal with my problems through anything but prayer and faith. I try to change them myself. I try to make the situation different, particularly when it comes for my kids. You know, if my kids are excluded or uh, are not a part of something or if they're struggling socially, academically, relationally, I want to try to change it. But when Jesus says, I need to be more prayerful and more faithful. And so Jesus says to this man, how long has this been going on? What should I do? And then Jesus says this. He says, bring the boy to me. See, and that's a moment right there. Jesus didn't say, bring the boy to church. He didn't say, bring the, bring the boy to my disciples, bring the boy to the pastor, bring the boy to the youth guy, or, or bring the boy to the children. He said, bring the boy to me. See, if we want to be a game changer, we've got to give our kids to Jesus. That's who we have to give our kids to. It's not just about giving our kids to church, and don't get me wrong, the church is the people of God, but it's Jesus who changes people. And so what Jesus was saying is, bring the boy to me. That's where the game-changing moment happens, is when we give our kids to Jesus. And obviously when we give our kids to Jesus, that manifests itself by being a part of the body of Christ. So the first thing is, if we want to be a game-changer, bring your kids to Jesus. Now, understand this about the disciples. Their faith was weak. They were struggling, but Jesus had their back. I love that about Jesus. Even when your faith is weak, when maybe you're not as prayerful or as faithful as you need to be or you want to be, Jesus still has your back because he comes down and there's all of this going on and, and then Jesus kind of quiets the storm of the argument and he asks this question. He says this, how long has the boy been like this? I mean, Jesus knew. He knew how long the boy had been like this and you know, we know that the boy uh, was possessed by demons because it says when the demon saw Jesus, he threw the boy to the ground and there was all these convulsions. The kid had epileptic-like symptoms, but he clearly had demon possession that was going on. And so Jesus says, you know, how long has the boy been like this? And the father says, you know, the boy has been like this since childhood. And this father was suffering. And if you're a parent a grandparent, a guardian, or somebody that works with kids, you know that when the kids in your life suffer, you suffer too. It doesn't matter what type of suffering. When your kids are physically ill, you suffer. When your kids are struggling socially, you suffer. When your kids are struggling academically or athletically or relationally, when your kids or the kids in your life or the kids that, that you shepherd or oversee or teach or care for, when they are suffering, you, you feel that suffering too. And this father's no different. Listen to what he says. He says, but... From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. The father and the son, they were one. And there's not a parent, grandparent, guardian, or teacher that doesn't feel that bond with your kids. That when your child is suffering, you are suffering too. He loves his kids. Now remember... It's not about bringing your kids to people around Jesus. It's about bringing your kids to Jesus. And Jesus said, bring the boy to me. And, and the man still a little struggling because look at what he says here. This is important in verse 22. He says, but if you can do anything. He says to Jesus, Jesus, if. I mean, I find that word ironic to say to Jesus, if. Like, do we say to Picasso, if you can paint me a picture. Do we say to Beethoven, if you can write me a song? Do we say to Shakespeare, if you can write me a play? We never say that because we know that they can. But yet this man says to Jesus, if you can. 
And I love Jesus' answer right here. He says, if you can, almost like, child, please. He says, if you can, Jesus is almost like, do you know who you're talking to? Do you not know who I am? Have you not heard what I've done? Have you not seen what I've done? He says, if you can, how many times do we pray to Jesus? Jesus, if you can, Jesus can do anything. See, what was really happening here, if you want to go deeper under the text, this father is having a crisis of faith. It's not really about his son. It's really about him. The father is having a crisis of faith because he comes to Jesus. He calls him teacher. So he's got respect. He's got reverence. But he's having a crisis of faith because he says, if you can. How many of us have had that moment where we're having a crisis of faith because maybe our child is struggling. And, that, and that, I'm not just saying little kids. Sometimes when our kids grow up, you never stop being a parent. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're always a parent. But sometimes we say, Lord, if you can. See, this man was having a crisis of faith because he kind of believed, but he had some worries. He had some fears. He had some doubts. And he says, if you can. We have to understand that the game-changing moment is not that, that this boy was going to be healed, but the game-changing moment was that this man recognized, I'm having a crisis of faith. And what Jesus was doing was showing him, the other disciples, the scribes, and everybody else who was around, that the only hope for this man and for this boy was Jesus. It wasn't going to be the disciples. It wasn't going to be the scribes. It wasn't going to be religion. It wasn't going to be morality. The only hope for this man and this boy and for you and for me is Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. The disciples let the Father down. The church will let you down. Pastors will let you down. Youth directors will let you down. Children's directors will let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. See, and that's what Jesus was saying. He said, bring the boy to me. And the man says, if you can. And Jesus says, if I can. If I can. Jesus was using this moment to teach everybody there about prayer and faith. Faith in Christ. Prayer all the time for this boy. So this man, he wasn't ready to admit it, but he needed Jesus more than his son. He needed Jesus more than his son did because he wasn't where he wanted to be. And I, and I love the man's response because Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. So Jesus kind of puts this moment to him. He says, all right, this is it. Anything's possible if you believe. And there's this this moment, this, this rawness, this authentic answer that I, I think so many of us would love to give, but we're scared to give because we think somehow it disqualifies us from the kingdom of God or there's a lightning bolt that's going to hit us. But look at, look at the raw and real answer that this man said. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. He was real. He says, yes, I have faith, but I want to have greater faith. And I don't know how, but I want to. See, that's the game-changing moment. It's not that the boy gets healed. The game-changing moment is that the father said, I want to grow in my faith. I have some faith, but I'm struggling. I want to overcome the belief. He has a desire to overcome belief. And don't miss this. The disciples didn't ask to overcome unbelief. The scribes didn't ask to overcome unbelief. It was the father 
who ask to overcome belief. Now, don't miss this either. The boy was mute, but he could see. He saw what his father just did. He saw that his father came before Jesus and said, help me overcome my unbelief. That's the moment. He saw his father. He couldn't hear his father, but he saw his father come before Jesus and say, I want to believe more. If you're a parent, a grandparent, a guardian, somebody who works with kids, can I get an amen? Kids don't listen to us. They don't hear anything that we say. Nothing. But they see what we do. That's what they remember. Children will never remember anything that we say, but they will always watch what we do. This boy saw his father come before Jesus and say, God, I don't have it all figured out. You know what? I, I want to have greater faith and I'm struggling with faith. Will you help me with faith? That's a moment of real, authentic, raw. That's not trying to play church. That's being real. And that child will remember that. It's like we say to our kids, our, the Bible is so important, kids, but they never see us read it. Kids, we need to go out and serve the poor, but we never take them to serve the poor. We, worshiping God in church is important, but we never take them or we take them once in a while. What we say doesn't matter. What they see is the Bible doesn't matter. Serving is too much work and church is optional. Kids remember what they see, not what they hear. This young man saw his dad come before Jesus and say, I need help. Do you know that even faith is not something that we can increase in our own? Listen to what it says in Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. We pray for our kids, right? Anybody in here who's a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a guardian, somebody who wants to have kids, we are constantly praying for our kids. But do we pray for God to help us overcome our unbelief? Why? Sometimes we're, I believe enough. I'm, I'm happy where I am. I don't, I don't need to, to believe anymore. I believe the basics. I got it all. It was this man who said, I need to know more. Help me. See, before Jesus could heal the son, he had to heal the father. Because the father needed to be the model for the son. The father needed to model what prayer and faith was. And that's coming before Jesus, real and raw, and saying, I need help. That's more impactful than anything else that the father could have done. Just being real and raw before Jesus. And we know that Jesus then looks to heal the boy. But notice that he throws the boy into convulsions and, 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 the, and the evil spirits going on. All this happens. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And that's hard because you don't want to see your kids suffer. But sometimes God is using that. And, 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 and I love what Jesus orders the, the devil or the demon. He says, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. See, that's as a parent, you don't want your kids to be sick, but to have Jesus say, and they're never going to deal with that again. As a parent, you'd be saying, thank you, that my child doesn't have to go through that again. So Jesus healed the boy, but he also healed the father. He healed the father's heart. He healed the father's worry. He healed the father's doubt. Now, the boy looked dead. In fact, people even said, well, he looks dead. But Jesus went over 
and he picked the boy up and it says he stood there next to Jesus. How proud of a moment when you see your child stand at graduation or stand uh, at receiving an academic award or an athletic award or walking down the aisle or becoming a parent. There's that moment. But is there a, a prouder moment than when you see your kids stand with Jesus? See, we all want our kids to know, to love, and to trust Jesus. Absolutely we do. But you know how you get your kids to know, love, and trust Jesus? That you have to learn to know, love, and trust Jesus first. See, before you can give your kids to Christ, we've got to make sure we've given ourselves to Christ. Before we tell our kids to, to know, love, and trust Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, do I know, love, and trust Jesus? Because our kids are going to watch what we do and how we live, and that's going to influence them more than what we say. That's the difference. That's the game-changing moment we have as parents and grandparents and guardians and working with kids that when we can say, I know, love, and trust Jesus, and I am praying that God would help me overcome my unbelief, then we can give our kids to Jesus. I could ask every parent, grandparent, or guardian in this room this question, and I know the answer. Would you ever, ever give your child to a stranger, somebody that you didn't know, would you just take them to central Nebraska, pick a random house, and just drop your kids off there? You would say, well, no. I want to know who these people are. I want to know, can I trust them with the most important thing in my life, which is my child? But yet, sometimes we just want to give our kids to the church and give our kids to Jesus when we don't even know Jesus. One makes no sense to us to give your kid to a stranger, but yet we're trying to give our kids to Jesus. We're saying, go, go, go to Sunday school, go, go to youth group, go, go to children's, go, 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 go. But we don't even know who Jesus is. We don't know what Jesus has done. We don't know what Jesus has called us to. Before we can give our kids to God, before we can give our kids to Christ, which I don't know many people who don't want their kids to know God, we've got to say, have I given my heart to Jesus? Have I stood there and said, God, I don't know everything. I don't, I don't understand everything, but I want to know. Help me overcome my unbelief. And, and let me just demysticize one thing. Some people think, I know I did when I was a kid. Well, the pastor must believe everything. Hey, there are things I'm like, God, I'm not sure how that works out. That's hard for me. But God, help me understand it. Help me. It's not about saying, I have, if you don't have any doubts, any, anything about the Bible, then something's wrong. You should always go, wow, that's hard. That's hard, but that's okay. God uses our doubt to stretch us and to grow us, but we have to own that. That's what this father did. What he did was the game-changing moment. We look at that text and we say, oh, it's the child got healed. That's the game-changing moment. It's not. The game-changing moment is that the father confessed he needed Jesus and that he gave himself to Jesus. Being a parent, a grandparent, a guardian, working with kids, that is so hard. Like I said, it is the most rewarding and the most defeating job all in the same moment, right? And we say things that just, we can't believe these words are coming out of our mouth, the things that we say to our children and our grandchildren. But they don't hear them, but they watch us. They watch us. As I said, my parents used to drop me off. They used to drop me off and and go. Since my parents came to Christ, my dad, now he goes to Starbucks and he has a ministry in Starbucks just talking to people. And he's done this for years. He just talks to people. And he just somehow has this way of getting them to come to men's Bible studies. It's no accident that we have a, 
a youth meeting on Thursdays up at Grinders Coffee Shop. It's no accident that our men's group meets on Thursday mornings at Grinders going through the Gospel of John. Do you know where I got that from? I got that from my dad. I can't tell you anything he ever told me, but I can tell you what I saw in him. Give your life to Christ. I want to ask our, our music ministry to come back up. Um, and, and I hope that you can be encouraged by God's word today. And I want to ask you to kind of wrestle with three different things um, that are hard, that are really hard. Um, Jesus is talking about prayer here because you know what prayer does? It brings us closer to God. The more we pray, the closer we are to God. The more we pray, the more our faith grows. So here are three things to, to really pray through. What type of faith are you modeling for your kids? Are you modeling for your kids the take and drop off? Or are you modeling for your kids, I'm living it and I want you to see it? Secondly, how do your kids see your faith lived out? Do they see you reading the Bible? Do they see you serving? Do they, do they see that you are worshiping God and engaged in worship all the time? And number three, do you pray that God would help you overcome your unbelief? Do you have that real and raw moment that you can come before God and know that God loves you no matter what? That God's got your back no matter what? That God cares for you no matter whether you can say, God, I, I, I want to overcome my unbelief. I want to know more so I can model who you are to my kids even more that they would know who you are. Wrestle with those three things. Answer those three things. And I guarantee you, God will use this to be a game-changing moment in your life and the kids that God has blessed you with. Amen.